I'm scared, but I'm um I'm ready to quit my materia and, and your job <laughs> to start a no, podcast. No, I said equip, not quit. <laughs> oh, I thought you said quit. I think you said quit my materia, no. like it was like a, like you like going cold turkey on materia. No, <laughs> I said equip. I'm ready to Cut. put it on. <laughs> Welcome to Gay for Play, a podcast about all things queer in the world of video games, pop culture, and beyond, girl. I'm Lawrence Turner-Cordova. And I'm Eric Solis. And Eric, I am feeling thankfulista, very thankful to all of our <laughs> listeners. Thankful? Oh, yes. Uh, this is our first time recording since uh, since releasing. Yeah, it's been so lovely to, like, um, just get so much warm reception from friends and strangers and mm-hmm. just uh, everyone who's been listening to the pod. So thank you guys so much for um, supporting us on our little journey. Thank um, you. Yeah, yeah, and it was so nice releasing it over the over the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, it was a nice uh, little, you know, friends and family coming together moment. Um, regardless of how you feel about the, the Thanksgiving holiday, I tried to make it more about... The way that my friends have come out a lot in 2020 and in ways that I wasn't expecting in ways that uh, none of us, I mean, none of us were expecting 2020 how it is, but the outpouring of love is, is strong and beautiful and it's super, it's super fun launching a podcast, isn't it, Lawrence? It has been. I'm very excited to continue, especially with this week's episode. I've been um, brimming with excitement to uh, record this episode, Ooh, but not we'll yet, get more not yet, that later. Not there yet. We're not there not yet, there girl. Yet. Um, I wanted to say, lo- listeners, if if I sound a little, if my tones are a little more dulcet, it's because I do have a pop filter now. Papa, Papa got a pop filter. <laughs> Thank God. Also, I have to get up on this podcast and call shade uh, <laughs> because, listen, for our um, for our first official episode, the Animal Crossing episode, you gave a little disclaimer about how our audio was a little crunchy. But in that episode, my audio was crystal clear and yours was um, admittedly very crunchy. But in our intro episode, my audio was crunchy and you did not give the listeners nary a warning about how, about how well, I sounded. Well, Lawrence, I, I have a secret I need to tell you. I don't listen to your audio. I just throw, fucking throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 three the hours the hours of combing through audio just through my shit and then I'm like oh, and Lawrence sounds fine all right that's probably <laughs> but yes the list um now that I have a pop filter um I I feel like the the gates are open the the world of games I can talk about is so greatly expanded I, we can talk about Poyo Poyo Tetris now um we can talk about Parappa the Rappa uh <laughs> all those plosives get it. Um, okay, before we continue, I have a couple of little corrections to make on some previous episodes. Um, I'm just obsessed with facts and knowledge, so I wanted to <laughs> <Nerd>. correct... <laughs> I wanted to correct my uh, stupid mistakes. Uh, firstly, in the uh, Sayonara Wild Hearts episode, we mentioned some spooky games, and I mentioned the game Phasmophobia, which I incorrectly called Phantasmophobia, which, you know, easy mistake. But anyways, the name of the game is called Phasmophobia. It sounds really spooky, and I still haven't played it, but that's the name of the game. And you're still not uh, going to. 
Probably. Uh, I probably will at some point. It seems really neat. Uh, but anyways, the other thing is last week on our Gone Home episode, we talked about the Game Awards. And I talked about how um, I think award shows are stupid. And this one kind of falls into that category of like, it's trying to be prestigious, but it's like all um, audience voted, like very people's choice awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out that it isn't. It's actually, do you know how the Game Awards No, I thought it, I thought it was people's choice. Is there like a committee? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was person's choice, but it turns out it's like 10% person's choice and then 90% of the vote is counted by like uh by video game news outlets. Um so like reputable reviewing companies and whatnot. So like it does have like more of a like reputation than like I gave it credit for. But I still think award shows are kinda dumb. But anyways, I just wanted to let y'all know that it's like not completely just people's choice. If you Lauren listeners, if you ever hear us make a mistake. Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare come after us. We are gay and can Don't barely read. Us. Don't add we'll, us. We will correct, correct us if we ourselves. Still feel like it, but <laughs> anyways, let's get into some news. There's some like interesting video game news stuff there happening is. this week. Um okay, so um I want to talk about like video game in other media because we are a mm. podcast about video games pop culture and beyond. Emphasis um, it was on the recently pop. a with my pop filter. Emphasis on the pop. Um, it was recently, recent, I can't say the word recently. It was recently announced that um, my lovely, lovely Hollywood boyfriend, Oscar Isaac, <gasps> is going to be playing Solid Snake in the upcoming Metal Gear Solid movie. Which you know what gives me a I'm Solid a Snake? With. <laughs> <laughs> the thought of um, the thought of Daddy Oscar. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to see his... his, his tight ass and those little <laughs> and those little solid snake tights um i can't wait for him to get a for there to be an oscar isaac skin in smash bros Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> what a mess we're already off the rails um already already too horny but i just wanted to say i'm very excited for um serpiente solido we're getting a latinx solid snake which i'm obsessed with mm. <laughs> <laughs> um i also just wanted to like note about the fact that like this continues the trend of like gorgeous hot men playing video game characters in Hollywood. Like the Army um, Hammer and the Witcher, not last year, right? Uh, Henry Cavill, but yes. Wow. You're mixing uh, up your s- handsome white men. Same <laughs> people. They're literally the same people in my brain. But yeah, Henry Cavill played Geralt of Rivia in the Netflix series of The Witcher. Um, Tom Holland is still set to play Nathan Drake in the upcoming Uncharted movie. Oh my movie. god, really? Yeah, little twink Colin playing Nathan Drake. And, of course, Ryan Reynolds as the sexy, sexy voice of Pikachu, <laughs> Detective Pikachu. Sort of in the same area, though, we have uh, The Last of Us is also getting a TV show they announced, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, coming to HBO. Um, do we know anything about the casting yet for it? I don't think so. There's been, like, rumors. I know oh, this series has been, like, rumored for years and years and years. I know, like, for a while, Maisie Williams, uh, Arya Stark from Game of Thrones, was, like, rumored to play Ellie. But, like, I don't know if that still holds true. It's interesting that they're making that they're making a series over this game because I feel like this is one of the game series more often than not I hear people say, "Oh my god, it's like playing a movie." It's um, so cinematic. It's so cinematic, which is which still makes it a good game. I I I'm just curious to see like what can ad- what can an adaptation that is for the screen that removes the, you know, player control what does that have to say that maybe you couldn't get from the game? I think what was so powerful about that story were the choices that you made while you were in control. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of the one of the big pitfalls with a lot of video game adaptations. Once you take 
play your agency out, what kind of story are you telling now? Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Um, yeah, because, like, this game, I think it'll be, for me personally, I think it'll be very palatable as a TV series. We kind of alluded to how uh, to how we kind of are going to be dragging Last of Us Part Two when we eventually talk about it. But, like, so much about the reason why it doesn't really vibe with me is just because, like, I don't performing violence in a video game to like that the extent to which these games do just rubs me the wrong way and it's i guess easier to like see it on screen um and it's tough because this game does have a really like um compelling story but it's like the crux of it for me is getting over that i don't want to like participate in this like hyper violence that the game necessitates so i think yeah. that the game that the game is commenting on by making you do and it makes sense that like it would be difficult and hard to do because the game wants you to know but at some point you know how many hours of it can you do before you're like okay i get it exactly yeah. so like i think with it being a you know assumably shorter tv series yeah. it'll um be a bit easier to swallow but yeah uh, lastly, just like have, Oscar Isaac is um, solid snake. <laughs> All right. Uh, last thing, uh, Lawrence, did you see this uh, trailer for Super Nintendo World in Japan? Like the actual final build of it? I didn't see the final trailer, but I saw like pictures and like videos oh. of like the Mario Kart ride. Oh my god! Click Girl, on this I'm link. <laughs> is it the reveal? Yeah, oh, right here. I see. I mean, it's huge. It's intricate. It has like moving animatronics of enemies throughout the game and moving coins and. Uh, it's gonna have a Mario Kart ride, it's gonna have a Yoshi ride. This is all in Japan, by the way. Yeah, Universal Studios Japan, um, opening summer of next year. Summer of next year? Or, th- or like, I think it may be spring of next year. Spring or summer know. of next year. It just year. told me on the trailer. I know, <laughs> I know I, it was I supposed to be this year originally, but then pandemic reared her ugly head. But, um, it is, it is coming to, uh, here in, in Hollywood, um, just down the street from me, actually. Um, you can see little bits of, like, Mario hills and castles poking over the horizon sometimes. Ooh, are they already building it? Oh, yeah, it's already being built. It's supposed to open in 2021, like, originally. So it's either going to open in 2021 or maybe early 2022. Um, but they oh, are still cute. in the process. I can't wait to see. Um, my one, like, gripe about Super Nintendo World is that it seems, like, primarily almost 100% Mario-focused. And it's like, why not just call it Super Mario World if you're going to do that? Like, where is... Zelda, where is um, Star Fox? Where Rumored is, like, that after it opens in Japan, they're going to build a Donkey Kong add-on to it. Mm, um, there could I'll be work. a Donkey okay. Kong sideline. Still line in the Mario Still universe. in the Mario world, I know. I, I'm. This is what I'm manifesting now for us, though, Lords. In 2021, Super Nintendo World is going to open in Hollywood, and you and me are going to report live on the scene at Super Nintendo World at the opening for the podcast. Right after getting that vaccine. Right after getting that us, vaccine, babe. asterisk. <laughs> work um all right let's move on we have one quick little announcement before we talk about our game of the week uh we are doing our goatee cast uh soon our game of the year uh podcast um i'm very excited eric and i have not discussed the format that it's gonna uh be but we'll share that with you soon Mm -hmm. um but as we're gearing up for it please let us know what your games of the year are um as well as like what you think is the like gayest game of the year games that had really queer themes that like you think are well worth discussing about because that's what we're all about a lot here. of contenders i would say maybe the the game we're talking about this week is maybe a strong contender for gayest game of the year mm-hmm. um, um <laughs> i'll get into it uh, um let us get into it eric i 
am brimming with excitement. This is a game that I've been like wanting to talk about ever since we recorded our um, pilot way back in May. I've like known that this is a game that we were going to talk about, and it's going to be a chunky, chunky ep. So I'm excited oh to get God. into it. This is a big one. I'm scared. It, it, I'm scared of this one. I don't know how we're going to do scared, it. But I'm, um, I'm ready to equip my materia and, and your dive. job. <laughs> To start a podcast. No, I said equip, not quit. Oh, I thought you said quit. I thought you said quit my materia. No. Like it was like a like you're like going cold turkey on materia. No. <laughs> I said equip. I'm ready Cut. to put it on. Put those slots into my Buster Sword and dive deep into the world of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII remake. <laughs> And let's mention, right off the bat, not Final Fantasy VII, the original. We're talking about the 2020 remake of Final Fantasy, which, Lawrence, uh, we do you want to go into how, how this is going to differ from the conversation we were talking about, the yeah. wider scope of the series? Yeah, so let's talk about what this game is. Um, it is a 2020 game that is a uh, ground-up remake of the original Final Fantasy game, which came out in the on the PlayStation in 1997. Oops, in the notes I said 1977. It's not that old, girl. Um, but it feels like it's been around that long. Yeah, so our discussion is going to primarily focus on this remake of the game. But before we do that, I want to give... Um, a little bit of a history on the original Final Fantasy VII, which honestly is a big milestone for us as a video game podcast. I feel like mm. every video game podcast has to talk about Final Fantasy VII and what an iconic game it is. It's like <laughs> and be and be afraid of like what can they say that hasn't already been said about something so monumentally important. Yeah, it's like a prerequisite <laughs> for starting a video game podcast. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about it. Uh, like I said, it released on the PlayStation in 1997. It was published by what was then known as Squaresoft, now Square Enix. Uh, and it was infamously the first Final Fantasy game to not be on a Nintendo console. Uh, the original yeah, game... Lots of drama around this. Yes. We don't, we're not, I don't want to tell the story now, but there's a lot of drama around yeah, this movie from Nintendo to Lots of drama. Sony. So basically 1 through 6 had all been released on the NES and the Super NES uh, Nintendo consoles. And then this game uh, was supposed to come out for the Nintendo 64. Uh, we remember that iconic disk drive that um, that the original Animal Crossing came out on. It was supposed to be on that, but Nintendo scrapped their disk drive. Um, moved over to cartridges. They decided to go with cartridges yeah. instead of discs. And Final Fantasy VII, like we said, is a chonky game that did not fit on an N64 cartridge. Chunky, chunky game split across multiple mm -hmm. CDs. Uh, the CDs were also a new technology that were able to, like, store much more information. Um, and so Squaresoft made the decision to move over to the new hot console on the market, the Sony PlayStation. Uh, and it became a system seller. It was the killer app. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and this game was a graphical marvel at the time. It f featured, like, full motion video, which was revolutionary. Wow. Um, it was, like, the first 3D Final Fantasy. It also had this, like, humongous ad campaign in the West, um, which made it, like, oh my so hype. Everyone was so excited for this game to come out. It seemed like it was going to be, like, you know, cinematic and revolutionary. Mm. Um, and... It was received that way, uh, it, and it was. Yeah. It was. It was everything. It was everything and more that it was hyped. I mean, I I was an N sixty four kid, so I didn't gonna grow up with this sort of hype around it. But I know, like Mario sixty four FF seven on PlayStation was like a 
revolutionary for the genre for video games as as a whole thing to get all together yeah um yeah and still to this day it's like one of the most influential and beloved games of all time uh due to its mm-hmm. uh incredible storytelling world building uh gameplay and referenced it's... constantly in pop culture like it's one of those things where like even people who aren't familiar with games recognize yeah. some like cloud or some of the weapons or some of the locations of, of final fantasy yeah, it's VII. become kind of synonymous with um with the video game canon which i'm very excited to like uh, talk about how this game, this remake, kind of like is in conversation with that. The, the iconicness of the original game. Um, it also had like I- I- incredible, iconic, gorgeous music, which we're going to talk a lot about too. But yeah, so uh, let me tell a quick like summary of what this game is. Uh, it's a JRPG, so turn-based role-playing game, um, directed by Yoshinori Kitase. Um, this game follows the story of Cloud Strife, a mercenary with a cloudy past. Cloudy, get it? <laughs> Uh, who joins the eco-terrorist group Avalanche. I'm going to put in a crowd booing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so Cloud joins this eco-terrorist group Avalanche in their quest to save the planet from Shinra, which is this sinister fascist mega corporation slash government entity that is literally draining the planet of its life force as a source of energy. Um, so it's all about their journey to stop this malicious group, as well as their quest to find Sephiroth, a powerful ex-Shinra soldier with malicious intentions and ties to Cloud's mysterious past. Ooh, yeah. and breath. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, meaty, iconic, action-packed game. Yeah, and you hear that, you hear that very, uh, you know, eco-terrorist, anti-capitalism game from the 90s, and you think, oh, they're gonna remake it, how does, how does a story like that... How do they keep it from getting stale? Well, here's the thing, honey. This is a story I think works much better in 2020 or has even more important things to say in 2020 than it would did in 97. It's incredible. Would you agree? Yeah, it's incredible how prescient this mm-hmm. game is um, mm-hmm. to like current world affairs. Um, yeah, it's wild. Come, in terms of pollution, in terms of, you know, corporate overreach and political dissolution and... And, you know, literal yeah. fascism. <laughs> literal fascism, you know, the, you know, deletion of the middle class, only, yeah. only upper class and lower class, uh, people taking the power into their own hands and, yeah. you know, taking to the... Um, yeah. Yeah, so this uh, this game takes place in, like... Well, the original game takes place in this, like, huge world, uh, but the opening hours of the game take place in this city called Midgar, which is, like, this cyberpunk dystopian city, which is, like, blatantly divided by class. It's literally a giant Mm. metal plate suspended by pillars, uh, and the middle... 300 meters up in the air. Yeah, 300 meters up in the air, and the working class and, like, upper class live on top of the, um, on top of this metal plate... While the lower class literally lives in, like, slums beneath the city underground. Uh, So, like, literally a city underneath a city in the sky. Um, Yeah. So it's, like, blatantly about uh, (laughs) class warfare in a way that, like, is really interestingly explored. Especially in this remake because um, this game is not an entire remake of the original game. Uh, So basically the original game takes place in this huge world. This game takes the original five to six hours that are set in the city Midgar and turns the Midgar arc into like this entire 30 to 40 hour uh, experience, Um, which was like a little bit controversial uh, when fans heard about it. But yeah, and I would say the results are mixed in the final product in terms of was it really necessary to extend the story to this long? I think the positives far outweigh the negatives, but I do think this is maybe when the game trips up, it comes from taking itself a little too far in terms of how much can we pull out 
from this small section. Yeah, it's definitely padded because it does take a five-hour section of the original game and turn it into, like, a whole thing. But I think it's overall a net mm-hmm. positive and, like, tells a more cohesive experience uh, because of it. Um, yeah, before we get too much into um, the remake, I just wanted to ask you, like, what your experience is with the original, if any. Um, uh, well, like I said uh, just a bit ago, I was uh, more a Nintendo kid than a Sony kid. Um, so I really didn't grow up with Final Fantasy VII. Here's the thing, Lawrence. This remake is my very first Final Fantasy game. Yes. Did you know that? Yes, yes, I did. I have never played one other than the Kingdom Hearts games, which are you know Final Fantasy adjacent, and we know how I feel about those games mm-hmm. already. If you've listened to our original episode, but no, this is this is really truly my first introduction to the world of Midgar and the world of Final Fantasy VII. But like we we said earlier, this game is so culturally iconic. I came into it with so much knowledge already, even though I'd never even touched it before. That's just sort of the the shadow of this game that looms over the entire industry and culture of gaming. Um, and I think that's why the game was so hyped that people were so unsure of how can you take something that is so monumental and, you know, tell it again in a fresh way, in a way that doesn't feel stale or unnecessary. Um, so I was really excited to get to come into this um, with fresh eyes, not having the original to compare it to, not even having another Final Fantasy game to compare yeah. it to, just other general RPGs. Um, what about you? Yeah, I was also surprisingly a latecomer to Final Fantasy. Uh, my introduction to like the characters in the world was also through Kingdom Hearts when uh, Cloud and Aerith and Yuffie um, showed their heads up and helped Sora out in his little adventure there. But I did finally play this game. I like got into the Final Fantasy series a couple years ago after like finally being like, okay, I should get into this. Oh, also quick note, um, all the Final Fantasy games are independent stories, so like... Um, yeah new worlds new characters every time yeah so like one is a completely different world and setting from two and so on and so forth so seven has like nothing to do with that but as a kid i did not know that so i thought that i had to play all the final fantasy games in order to understand final fantasy 7 and i was like well i don't Mm -hmm. have time or the money to play six other games yeah (laughs) and the confusing thing is that games released in the u.s and games released in japan had different numbers attached to them when the original localization so i think like three in in japan or three in the u.s was actually like final fantasy six in in the u.s or something yeah a lot of confusion there but that is to say that i did play uh, the original final fantasy 7 a couple years ago um actually when it came out on switch um i played through most of it i still haven't beaten it actually but um i got my hands on with it um it's definitely dated but it does hold up but one thing that i like have to note and this is gonna like factor into like how we feel about this game is that like even though I don't have any, like, childhood nostalgia attached to this game, like, you can you can feel in the game why it, like, uh, resonates with people so much. Like, even though I have oh, no, yeah. like, childhood experience with it, it still feels deeply nostalgic and deeply... Uh, it it feels nostalgic. I, I, I played a little bit of, of the original after the remake, and it it's a game that feels nostalgic even though I've never touched it before. But something about... It has this graphical style similar to Donkey Kong Country with like 3D renders in in a 3D space, but they're, they're 2D images and 3D characters move through them. That sounds weird, but if you look at an image of the game, you'll know what I mean. Yeah, it's, a, um, it's so fascinating how they did that. And it's like a really cool um, art style in a way that they were able to show this like really... Um, this grand, grand world, world, this huge world. With like limited technology. Um yeah, but but that style of of graphics and that the the sound um, of of the music of the game, um, it feels nostalgic. It reminds me of a game that I played in my childhood, even though I never touched it. And I think that just speaks to the staying power of this particular entry in the series. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, let's dig into uh, the remake. So like I said, this game came out in 2020 as Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mm-hmm. Um, After years of, of teasing. I think it yes. was first like announced in 2014, 2015, 2015 and then we heard E3, nothing about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and we heard nothing about it for years and people just thought it wasn't happening or was never going to happen. And then... I don't know where they go. Oh, it's 2020 now. Enjoy. It finally came out. Um, and like we said, it's a full ground up reimagining. Um, it's a completely mm-hmm. new game. Like remake is yeah. um, an apt word. It's not a remaster. It's not like a graphical upgrade. It's fully like they started from a blank slate. Like how let's make like basically a new game. Yeah. Um, other than like the characters story and like elements of the combat. Like this game is totally redesigned. It's totally the plot is completely restructured. Um, I would even say in some ways it's it's not even really a remake. It's also kind of a sequel. It's also yes. kind of a reboot. It's also kind of it's also it's it's many things. It's a remaster, a remake, a reboot all in one game. There's a deep meta level to this that I'm not gonna get too into because like we'll be talking for hours here, but uh Final Fantasy VII Remake is essentially a sequel to Final Fantasy VII in that it's like playing with some like, is this actually a retelling of the story or is it like a continuation of the story in an alternate timeline. It goes into all this really deep video gamey uh, yeah. anime And we bullshit. won't spoil it because I don't think we could if we wanted to spoil it. We um, couldn't. We don't have the time or the energy. But but, but yes, the game the game comments on its on its existence identity as a remake. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as Eric implied earlier, you don't have to have played the original Final Fantasy VII to still really enjoy this really beautiful game. One thing of note, this game was directed by Tetsuya Nomura, who was the original character designer for the original Final Fantasy VII. So he designed Cloud and Aerith and all the beloved characters that are in this game. Uh, He's also the... And is the director of Kingdom Hearts. He's the Kingdom Hearts series director. And I would say, I think his style and tone comes off in this remake super strong. Mm -hmm. There are elements of Kingdom Hearts in this game, (laughs) for better or for worse... That's (laughs) That's <laughs> the unofficial motto of Kingdom Hearts. It does Hearts. go to Anime Crazy Town a lot, but we love. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, this game, Eric, is, um, oh my first of all, Gorgina. Gorgeous. Yes, I, uh, we, I, we played it earlier this year, but I recently replayed it just for this episode, and in between my original playthrough of it and the one I just did recently, um, I got a new 4K TV, so... I actually got to, like, see the game scaled up to its full potential. And, oh, my God, I didn't think it could look better. But it just, it's it's a world that just feels so alive because of just how much detail. And it's it's insane. It's insanity. It it breaks my brain to think about the amount of effort and time that went into creating every environment in this game. Because it just feels like a real place you could step into your screen and be in. Yeah. It is incredible the uh, extent to which this game took the original story and fully fleshed out this city um, mm-hmm. and in, like, all of its grandeur. Um, the skyboxes in this game, so, like, the way the sky looks is oh stunning. The most incredible skyboxes I've yeah. seen in any video game ever. Um, I would say, like, one of my favorite gaming moments of 2020 was, like, stepping out into the daylight and looking up and seeing Midgar above you yeah, for the first this time. Yeah, giant I, metal city I couldn't play you. the game. The shining metal city, the giant rotting pizza that I just kind of stood there and went, holy fuck, this is real yeah am i really here (laughs) um yeah it just Um, fully immerses you into this world and yeah i think kind of going along with that this world takes what was left of the imagination in the original game in terms mm -hmm. of the world and like presents it to you um in the settings full grandeur it also really does this with the characters too uh this game when i played the original i could tell that like 
even though these characters were iconic, there was like some problematic stuff, <laughs> to mm-hmm. say the least. One of the, your main party members, Barrett, uh, kind of like played into this like really kind of dated stereotype of like big, scary, buff, angry black man <laughs> uh, who like mm-hmm. is just kind of like bumbling and angry and yells at everyone. Um, and I'd say this game like kind of still has that, but it really fleshes Barrett out as a character a lot more. And like, yeah, it, it makes you understand why he is that way rather rather than being like a caricature of of uh, black people. It sort of really explains why his tone is like this and what he's gone through to make him this way. Yeah, not fleshing out of the character. Not that it excuses the more you know racial stereotypes that the game takes on, but it it, it makes him more of a whole character that it, that's not the only part of his identity that matters or it's coming across. Yeah, and I think this is also especially true with two of the main female characters in the game, uh, Tifa and Aerith. Uh, Tifa is Cloud's childhood best friend. Aerith is this mysterious girl Cloud meets in Midgar. Um, and they were both super important to the original story, but they were also basically ciphers <laughs> for the audience mm-hmm. and, like, not really given any development other than, like, they're the ladies who Cloud has feelings for. Um, but this game... And then the role-playing element comes in where it's like, do you want Aerith the soft, pretty one or Tifa the sexy, tough one? Yeah. And this game still does that. Like, it still does, like, make you choose. There's a moment in this game where, like, um, <laughs> it's, like, a big fight that's just happened and, like, Tifa and Aerith are, like, both unconscious on the floor. And, like, you have to decide which one Cloud wakes up and talks to first. <laughs> And it's so, the game has so many strange moments like that where it'll like build in this brand new choice system that is like introduced and like gone in five minutes or a dart mini game that shows up once and never again or like, what else was there? Like a log rolling down a river or something. That's not real. Now I'm thinking of Mario Party. (laughs) No, but there is a bunch of weird stuff. Like the the original game was full of like a bunch of weird mini games that this game decided to just Mm -hmm. like keep <laughs> and like this yeah this game is so and that comes and back weird. to like the idea of like this game that left so much to the imagination originally rebuilt as like what we are supposed to remember it as when we played it originally when we saw it and went oh my god these 90s graphics are so incredible how could it look better well they just did it again in 2020 and sort of just upscaled all of these smaller moments that felt you know weird or awkward or like oh it's just a a silly fun game putting in a cute little moment because how are they going to fill the time here and then they upscale it and give every single mini game and every single moment such importance and heft yeah and it works because it's 110 percent serious yeah um, and that works even when it even when it's uh, a little you know silly or hokey it's silly but also like so magical and weird i alluded to it earlier but it's like this cyberpunk fantasy game um all final fantasy games kind of have this like mixture between like uh technology and like magic and this game is kind of that to a t and yeah it takes these like fantastical ma- magical elements and like these weird monsters and just like plays them up to 110 percent, and it's so cool mm-hmm. uh my favorite example is and 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 oh go ahead and takes it for out takes it out of a generic fantasy world into a sci-fi world for the first time i think that's what was what's so cool about final fantasy 7 is it's the first one that goes like full like cyberpunk industrial yeah while still keeping elements of fantasy, you still look at this world and it looks fantastical, but it's fantastical in, you know, these giant corporate monoliths or like these deep, huge, you know, endless slums. Like it's, it is fantastic, but it's, it's, you know, scary and dark and way too close to our real world. Yeah, it's grounded in reality in a very like unsettling way, but one that like makes you feel like you're transporting to this like familiar but unfamiliar world. Um, I was going to say like my favorite <laughs> My favorite example of, like, this wild, campy, magical uh, thing they do is there's this enemy in the original. 
So the original game had like random encounters for enemies. You would just be walking around the world and just like get put into a battle. Very similar to like Pokemon walking around the grass. Um, but this game does away with uh, those random encounters, but it still keeps a lot of the enemies in the game. And one of the random encounter el- enemies that it turned into like a boss encounter was the Hell House, which is literally <laughs> a house. Insane. It's a huge house that you fight with Cloud's giant sword. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um it's so over the top and weird and doesn't make any sense, but it's like so fun and campy and great. And the and this remake is so good at taking things from the original that maybe they would have just looked at and said, that's way too silly. We're just not going to put it in. They just found another way to put this enemy in, in a way that made narrative sense. They somehow made a living robot house that kills people make sense in this game when it didn't need to make sense before, yeah. because that's the, the strange realism of the remake is how could we make it a little more... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also want to shout out, uh, we were talking about the the way that this game uh, takes characters and expands them. I want to say the acting in this game is some of like the best video game acting I've ever yeah. seen um, for a game that is so campy and over the top and, you know, revels in Japanese anime tropes. You know, the moments of, of seriousness and the moments of like, uh, you know, true weight and sadness and drama, like, really hit. And I would say that's because of the actors. Like, there is, in the cutscenes, there is such subtlety in some of their reactions. Even scenes where the dialogue doesn't feel like it's doing that much. You know, this is, you know, me coming from my acting training. It's like, I'm seeing intention, and I'm seeing, you know, the pa- these characters' pasts being a part of their present, even though they're not speaking it. And that's the kudos kudos to the cast kudos to the writer and the director of this game for like making us care about these characters by giving them so much depth that doesn't even you know come to the surface obviously yeah um i talked about how like the characters in the original like weren't really fully fleshed out and kind of were left to the character's imagination which was like kind of a thing of 90s rpgs is that the characters were like more or less blank, blank slates for you to like put your own stories on yeah for you to put your own personality that being it. said like the way they took cloud who is like essentially a bland white boy who um is just like serious and like uh, i don't care i'm i'm rough and gruff and hate the world um and turned him into like and especially okay so like i said this game is just the first six hours of the original of the original game um and in that first six hours of the original game, there's not a lot of, like, character development in Cloud. Um, so, like, I was worried going to this game, like, how are they going to, like, make Cloud a beloved character when, like, um, you know, we're not the even getting his full, not even tell much later. his full, like, s- story arc. But wow, like, the voice actor does such an incredible job of, like, slowly changing his character over time. And the game's direction is um, super great at doing that as well and turning into, like, a really, really deeply lovable protagonist who, like, is still serious, like... Like, still serious and, like, um, a bit of a, like, dork in terms of, like, how how much he's, like, uh, above it all. Um, but mm-hmm. still manages to, like, crack his shell in a really cool way. Which I think we'll talk about when we talk about, like, the ideas of masculinity and stuff in this game as well. Yeah. But, the, uh, yeah, I would say not just with Cloud, but, you know, all the main characters in this game. You know, for taking such a small, for a small chunk of the original game that isn't a full story, giving this game a full narrative arc that wraps up on its own inside of just this one story, mm-hmm. even though it's only one part of the whole thing that we're supposed to get. Yeah. Some years it should be now, noted. They are they... planning on making like more of the remake to like fill out the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. It's unclear when or how many games that's going to be. 
Um, mm. but yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I, but I, but I appreciated that so much. Cause that was my worry too. was like, well, if it's just a small chunk, is it going to feel like it's not a complete thing or it's going to leave me wanting more? No, I would say this game, I'm not going to say the ending. I don't think I could, uh, if I tried to, but the ending, the ending of this game, which, you know, takes liberties with the original and does its own things in some parts of it. You know, that is, that is a bow. That is a, a ribbon being wrapped up that goes, all right, that's the end of this game. Here's where the characters are. Here's how they've grown. And here's where they're setting up where they're going to go, but not in a way that makes you feel like you got tricked out of a full experience. Mm-hmm. This game is a full experience on, on its own. So I appreciate that. Yeah. It was good for them. Um, before we talk about what makes this game uh, queer TM, uh, I want to give a special shout out to the music of this game because, boy, oh boy. Okay, well, listeners, if you don't know this about me, I am an absolute salute for video game music. I... Love it so much. I think it's incredible what uh, video game scores can accomplish. Um, And man, this game, both the original and the remake, have such an iconic, iconic score. Um, The original composer, uh, Nobuo Uematsu, uh, was the lead um, composer on the Final Fantasy series from the beginning. um, And is just an absolute master. He's one of the most prolific video game composers of all time. Um, He mixes, like, these romantic classical compositions... Um, which he uses to, like, uh, give characters their life, um, but also, like, mixes it with his own style of, like, prog rock and, like, techno. Um, I don't know if you knew this, Eric, but, like, he cites uh, Elton John as, like, his biggest musical influence. Whoa! Which... Oh! Oh, wow, I hear it now. Oh, it is just like Elton John, huh? <laughs> the hello, queer uh, representation. Um, Which... Is a good place. I don't know if you have anything. Oh else to no, say, I want to talk I more think... about this music. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry, it's kind of short with that transition. Um, but yeah, so like uh, Nobuo Uematsu is a master. He like uses light motif to like create these themes for um, for each character in such a like sweeping way. This game has such a like sweeping emotional score that like I think is the bulk of what attributes its like roma- like romantic nostalgic feel to it. Um, I am just absolutely obsessed. Um, this game also takes like original compositions and like remixes them. There's like these jukeboxes split throughout the world um, where it like plays these like jazz renditions of these original songs. Um, and it's just so good. Um, one thing to note about this game, the remake, is that uh, Uematsu, the original composer, uh, he left the franchise after Final Fantasy X back in like 2004, I think. But he returned to this game to compose one new song um, in the game, which became the game's main theme. Do you know which one it is? No, I don't. I didn't know there was a new theme in this game. Do you want to take a... Or I guess you don't know the original, so I was going to say, do you want to take a guess at which one it is? Well, well, no, let me think about it. I mean, I know it's not like the... Not the menu theme. Not Aerith's theme. Not the battle theme. Uh, is it a character? Is it specific to a character? No, it's specific to a setting in the game. Oh, I wouldn't know then. Tell me It what. is the Sector 5 slums theme. So, like, uh, Aerith's hometown, the, like, uh, guitar oh. melody that it plays. Um, uh, it's a beautiful, really beautiful song. It's the one that, like, have to go they, back and hear they add lyrics to it in the, like, credits. Um, oh. But it's a really beautiful right, song. So the- I was listening to it, and I was like, man, this, like, song isn't in the original and sounds so good. I wonder if, like, they added it mm-hmm. in, and lo and behold, it's, like, the one song that the original composer um, added to it. Um, so it's just a really... Is that, like, the, equi- the equivalent of, like, when they adapt a musical to film and then, like, they get... They bring Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber to, to write a new <laughs> song so they can get an Oscar nomination? <laughs> yeah. 
Very that. I'm surprised they didn't bring surprised they didn't bring Andrew Lloyd Webber in to write a song for the Final Andrew Fantasy VII remake so we could somehow get an Oscar nomination. And Taylor, don't forget Taylor Swift getting in there writing mm. her beautiful ghosts. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. Um, Ooh, search YouTube for our uh, beautiful ghosts Final <laughs> Fantasy VII FMV <laughs> later. But yeah. Anyways, uh, this game has a big team of composers. Um, uh, and they all take Uematsu's original score and like remix it and reorchestrate it in a really beautiful way that's like fitting of how grand of a remix is. So, anyways, I just wanted. And to- this is not just in, not just incredible for a game for like a reimagining of a game soundtrack, but just like by itself, this these orchestrations and these set the the way that this game uses music to set a tone mm-hmm. and make you feel what it wants you to feel like there is never a moment where i feel like the music is unsuccessful and like how it's trying to make you feel the battle theme is driving and urgent and Aerith's theme is soft and relaxing and just hearing these iconic songs that were made with you know chip tune and like basic orchestrations 20 years ago having these full you know 50 person you know, backing behind them. It's just, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's epic. It's the scale, like everything in this remake is epic. And that even includes the music. Yeah. I mean, talk about peaks and valleys. You have these like Mm -hmm. huge bombastic uh, prog rock battle themes mixed with like sweet sweeping melodies when you're like in Midgar in the daylight, uh, visiting Aerith's uh, home for the first time. And you're seeing this like lush green world and hearing this just beautiful, uh, beautifully composed theme. It's incredible. And that's a great spot to edit in some of that music, girl. Uh, (laughs) So do you want to transition us into um, gay stuff? Yeah, let's transition. I'm probably going to put in like some music here, fade it out, and then the music's going to, you know, go away and then our voices will come back and we'll go. Take it away, Lauren. Oh, work. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, let's talk about how this game's gay because it has a lot of really cool gay oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, in it. that's the podcast, right? <laughs> that's what our podcast is about. It's not me waxing poetic about video game music for 40 minutes. <laughs> But that was pretty gay, though. You did it in a very gay way, Lauren. Thank so I you. will compliment you on that. Thank you. I the, try. the the queens The queens are are panting and heaving and raving. The gamers are all about it. Let's talk about queens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this game has a lot has an abundance. I would say. Um. Yeah. Okay. This game has. Okay. Again, we need to talk about this game in con in context with the original and how it's um discussing so i want to talk about a moment in the original game um the infamous honeybee in sequence so it is not just a moment it is the moment lawrence it is the moment um it's the moment in this game i would not say it's the moment in the Mm -hmm. original because it is what Mm -hmm. problematic (laughs) Mm. um all right oh yeah do a quick yeah quickly sum up what what the original does so there's this point in the game where you have to rescue uh where Cloud and Aerith have to go rescue Tifa um, from this uh, guy named Don Corneo, who's like this mafia boss, sleazy, let's say it, sex trafficker, who's <laughs> like, uh, who's trying to like, hmm. s- like sell Tifa into like, um, into like being his like sex slave. It's very dark. Um, 
But in order to rescue them, you have to get into Don Corneo's mansion. And the only way you can get into Don Corneo's mansion is if you are a woman uh, trying to, like, win the affection of Don Corneo. So Aerith, who's this very crafty, smart character, whips up this plan to um, get Cloud in by dressing him up in drags uh, and dressing him as a woman to get into this mansion. Um, Which Cloud is like, oh, no, what? I'm not going to dress as a girl. And it's very, like... It's very gay panicky and was not really um, a great look for the game. Like, Aerith kind of forces this onto Cloud without any other option. And yeah, it, fo- it, focuses queerness as, it focuses queerness as something to stay away from in this world rather than something yeah. that is a part of this world and an accepted part of it. Yeah, and it gets worse in the, in the original game. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go on a quest oh, we're not to, done. like, uh, get a dress and get a wig. And the last thing you have to do is get a pair of underwear. And the way you do that is by going to this place called the Honey Bee Inn and, like, essentially talking to this group of, like... Um, obviously implied to be gay bodybuilders um who are like sure like muscle bears yeah yeah and they're like sure we'll give you this underwear if you like spend some time with us and then like cloud is like backing into a corner and like these like this like group of men like advances onto him as this like screen cuts away and it's heavily implied that it's like this um joke about this group of men sexually assaulting cloud and it's not good and not a good look (laughs) Well, the way I, w- I went back and I watched this scene, I didn't play the game, but I watched mm-hmm. this this sequence on YouTube. And the way that it plays out is the the men come in, um, you know, they they Google the ah cloud, and the, I think the room that they're in is sort of like the bathhouse yeah. room of the honeybee inn. Um, and then the camera sort of pans up, and then we see like just like the tops of their heads sort of move shift over to the left a little bit the camera pans back down and now they're all like in a tub and you can only see their heads so it's implied that they're all you know naked in this bathtub now and commenting about you know doesn't it just feel nice to soak with the boys on cloud and cloud is just like dead silent yeah it's dark and not great and also like i mean and like as like as such an inconsequential like side quest in the game to like why why was that the tone with which i had to approach it yeah yeah, and it's just played off for jokes and it was uh, not a good look Uh, there's a lot of problematic stuff in the original game um some slurs that they use (laughs) um (laughs) but uh it it is like kind of a central plot element. This whole Don Corneo uh, drag cross-dressing plot is still kind of essential to this part of the story. Yeah. So it was a it's big... still something that if you're going to remake the game, yeah. you know, it's a question of well, do we do we just pretend it didn't happen, or do we try and find a way to make it to rationalize it and make it not as offensive? Or yeah, yeah. So like that was a big question for like queer fans coming into this remake of like how are they going to address and or change and or not talk about this scene, and they do it surprisingly really really well do you want to talk about like what the scene is yeah so in in the remake um of this game um you still go to this this city called wall market you still go to the honeybee inn um the plot isn't the quest isn't um cloud going around and finding all the different pieces of the for his makeover it's not finding the lipstick and the dress and the wig um instead the quest is a you know Aerith Aerith gets an audience with don corneo but cloud doesn't so how can we what what can what can we do to cloud to make him uh you know fit in and you know be as be welcomed into this home and it's still um, drag it's, still drag just, is still the answer <laughs> and it's and the dra- yes and the answer is still we're going to we're we know exactly what we're going to do um but you know i what i notice about the remake is Aerith doesn't turn to cloud and say we're going to dress you up as a woman Aerith just says i have an idea follow me so she doesn't explicitly announce i'm going to put you in girls clothes um I'm just gonna, you know, take you to this place and see see what happens. Um, 
And what happens is they end up getting an audience with um, a character who is new to this game, not in the original. Mm -hmm. um, A character named Andrea Rodea. Queen. uh, Who? Queen. He... (laughs) They, she, I don't know if there's even explicit pronouns assigned to this character, but I don't think it matters because I think that's part of the wonder and beauty of this character is that he, he, I'll, I'll use he because he is, I would say, genuinely more male presenting yeah. in, in this game, the way he's designed. Um, Andrea, he shows up and he's the owner of the Honeybee Inn and he's kind of like this, you know, this grand, uh, fit, grand, grand vizier, grand, you know the madam he's he's the madam yeah. of of this club he he puts on the shows he picks the girls he is and the, the designer boys too. And there's honey boys know. too in the remake and the honey boys there's honey bee girls there's honey boy girls both wearing these cute little bee costumes mm-hmm. uh cute to see like the little bee costumes from the original upscaled and remade into like these full like oh i could actually and i would wear that bee costume <laughs> um but anyway it's um it's really funny to me in the game how they, they talk about, like, the wall market and the honeybee and is sort of like this deep, you know, sea gross place, you know, beneath Midgar. You don't want to go there. And then they go to the honeybee and, and it's, like, Broadway quality, like, holy shit, there's, like, lights and suspension and, like, magic tricks and all these effects going on. I'm like, this is pretty fucking cool. It's, like, yeah. I would love to go to it's, the honeybee Inn. It's a production. It's, like, a full drag show, <laughs> like, cabaret yeah. extravaganza. Um, and, yeah, so essentially, like, what happens is instead of, like a horrible sexual assault scene uh cloud is asked to like perform on stage and get like transformed into drag on stage in front of an audience mm-hmm. and cloud is still yeah, a well little... there's a dance there's a dance sequence first before we get to that uh, it's it's cloud has to prove himself andrea rodea comes on stage looks at clouds and goes up here let's see let's see if you've got it in you and then we get like one of the most incredible video game dance sequences i think i've ever seen yes cloud fully goes into like a whole vogue moment um, still with his, like, massive sword, it must be said, he incorporates props mm-hmm. into the performance, darling, which is the mark of a true mm-hmm. artiste. <laughs> Using space, you know, adjusting time and space, you know, fixing the, you know, he, he has training. Cloud clearly, soldier, it's not just, not just rough and tumble, <laughs> apparently, apparently they teach Meisner in soldier when you're, oh, man. When you're first learning. They teach learning. Fosse in soldier for sure, because he yeah. is, uh, he is using his body. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's this whole, like, ridiculous dance sequence, um, and it's just this, like, beautiful show, and it gets to this point where, like, they cover him up, and, like, they, like, start to turn him around, they have this big old um... And there's this beautiful quick pop change. music playing. Yeah. Quick change yeah. makeup reveal as this pop music's playing, and these dancers are performing, um... Andrea Rodea gets, like, super close up to Cloud and is like, you look beautiful, babe. <laughs> and then, like, mm-hmm. presents the don't full be transformation. Af- don't be afraid. Uh, it's No, it's, it's, it's not even, like, a... What I love about Andrea the character is Andrea doesn't come off as predatory. It doesn't come off as like Andrea is doing this because he wants he wants to take Cloud for himself. Yeah. He's Andrea looks at Cloud and goes, "You have potential. Let me let me show you how much more beautiful you can be." He's being Cloud's drag mama. Yeah. Um yeah, <laughs> and then there's this beautiful line at the end of the dance number where Andrea Rodea like turns to Cloud after they're like really fun poppy dance and says um and he has the dress on and has all the braids and has everything all done up he looks at him and he says yeah, and he says true beauty is an expression of the heart a thing without shame to which gen- notions of gender don't apply don't ever be afraid cloud um and it's just like this is... okay so let's talk about that obviously um a grand production in context in contrast to the really problematic original um and incredibly different doesn't i would that's not even close to what happens i would say that i would say that's probably one of the most creative reimaginings in the game yeah um and okay is it like a revolutionary thing 
is it like a revolution queer statement? Not really. It's very no. like it's very born this way mid 2000s early 20s. It's very queer. Uh it's a, yeah, it's very like yeah, mid 2010s like. But uh I think that's exactly what it needed to be. Um I think mm-hmm. um it it you know talks about how um gender presentation isn't a thing to be ashamed of um and to like push yourself past your comfort limits and embrace all sides of yourself. Um, so I think it's a really you know bold statement for this game to make when they honestly could have just eliminated this section entirely and and come up with something new. So I think it's really neat yeah, that they were kudos kudos to them. Yeah. And I would say uh, it's I, I would say when I when I did hear complaints about the reimagining of this sequence online, well t- two things, but I'll get into the second thing maybe in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I would hear is that you know the more uh, you know, aggressive, toxic, masculine side of, of Game World going like, why did you just shove these gay characters in here to be gay characters just for the sake of representation? Um, which I would actually say is kind of how I felt. I, I There was a little bit of me that went, huh, it's interesting that they put these characters in. This Andrea Rodea character, I would say, maybe comes off a little bit like a, you know, like the magical queer trope of like the gay character coming in to serve the straight characters, but then he disappears and is never seen mm-hmm. again and is not an important part of the plot. And I would say, yes, that is one of the not revolutionary moments is that it sort of introduces queerness, then tucks it away. But but in contrast with the original, which portrays queerness as something, um, you know, uh, uh, divisive, what's the word? Derisive? Not divisive. Derisive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Deriding. That, um. Yeah, that it's not just, uh, yeah, queerness is not something that is looked down or derided on in the, in this world. In the remake, queerness does exist and queerness is not problematic. You know, when Cloud is getting this makeover, everyone in the audience is cheering. There's not Aerith laughter. is literally there, like, doing everything except yelling Yas Queen at him. <laughs> yeah. She is the, she is us. She is us as we're playing the game uh, in our on our couches. She's literally but in the doing game, the, like, like yeah. Uh, the Michelle Visage when Roxy Andrews took off her wig, like snapping her finger Just in the, the air. arm back and forth. <laughs> yeah, literally, and like that's 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 why it works for me is that it's not a it's not an audience laughing, it's not an audience going ooh scandalous, it's an audience going yes, this is what we want to see. These you know hetero boys who are stuck inside themselves, unveiling a softer side of themselves, and I would say it even serves the plot in a greater yeah. way in that it really is a turning point for, for cloud. cloud as a character yeah. in this remake so it's not a useless gray characters for the sake of being gay it actually is integral to his character development in this i was just gonna say this that injury. this game like this this point of the game is like about halfway through and it's really a moment where cloud starts to like really open up and allow other people in and um and interface with others in a way that he's um not been able to because a of his like military past and like the clearly PTSD. mysterious yeah. PTSD traumatic shit that he's gone through. Um, so yeah, yeah, it like really serves the story in a really interesting way. Um, yeah, it's a huge watershed, watershed moment for like, I think, mm-hmm. queer culture in gaming, um, this particular scene. Um, but that's not all of the like uh, gay stuff that we want to talk about. There's like, some other stuff too that I want to mention. Um, yeah, I wanted to mention... Um... In the in this same section of the game, this is even more minor than the Andrea Rodea stuff. But in this wall market section of the game, there is a small side quest where you go to a gym. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Which is yeah, part of the um, original quest in Final Fantasy VII as well. Um, yeah, which is also given a little bit more of an arc. Uh, but you meet this character Jules, who I I would say is non non gender non conforming mm-hmm. in the game. It's really not made clear. Um, 
they're a little, I would say, non-binary, maybe more femme, you know, mask, mask to femme, trans perhaps. Um, but that's just my posturing because it's a minor character. But this is another section in the game where you meet this character, Jules, who is the owner of a gym and has all of, you know, the, the tough boys working out at the gym. And it's a moment in the game of like, you know, these big burly guys looking at Cloud going, ooh, you look at, look at that scrawny guy, I bet he couldn't beat me in this. And Jules, the owner of this gym, says, hey, you know, your outside doesn't matter. It matters what's inside of you. Like, that is where your true strength mm-hmm. comes from. Um, and whether or not that is an intentionally queer character or not, um, yeah. I still queer think that's a really character. beautiful moment in the game. Queer, A queer trans character that I think just adds, adds on to what we see with Andrea just a bit later after this is that this is... This is a world in Final Fantasy VII in this remake where queerness is is open. Queerness is not something people seem to be afraid of or something that people are trying to conceal. Like, this is, a you know, Andrea and Jules are both business owners in this remake and are openly in identities. It should be another too. Jules was a character in the original who gives Cloud the wig. And mm-hmm. so, like, there's that implication there. Like, in the original, oh. it was like oh, is, like, this owner of the gym, like, they gave me a wig. It's kind of playing on this, like, transphobic stereotype of, like, is this a man? Is this a woman? I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, as you explained, kind of handle in a really beautiful way that, you know, kind of erases that. Yeah, where even, it's not not about a wig anymore, but it's, yeah, it's not about the passing of a wig anymore, but it's still about, you know, finding your inner beauty and not letting, not letting your outside define who you are on the inside. Um, Yeah. Some other stuff. I just want to fanboy a little bit about how hot some of these video game men are. <laughs> Cloud. <laughs> time, time out for the hot boys of Final Fantasy VII. Okay, we'll be right back to the show. Well, it, it must be said, Cloud's arms wielding around his truly absurdly massive sword. <laughs> um, Cloud has got some really nice arms. Um, also, like just the like phallic nature of carrying around a ridiculously sized sword there's an npc at one point in the game like as you're like walking through uh walking through the slums of midgar there's like a npc who goes like man i could really use a big sword like that (laughs) it's just (laughs) horny i like fell out when i heard that happening Um, call the midgar horny police um a couple other like minor characters that were given their full arc are um biggs wedge and jesse who are like these like other members of avalanche uh who appeared in the original game but like weren't characters at all and are now given like a full arc um biggs especially gorgeous very like flirtatious flirts with cloud a lot gets up in his face uh Mm -hmm. gets real close to him we know those kind of straight guys yeah there's there's some homoeroticism there um that like you know maybe i'm just projecting uh wedge is also this like this like really cute adorable bear who like loves cats and is just like a goofball which is like 100 percent my type um Barrett, what can I say? He's gorgeous, burly, um, but also Going like for arms. Ooh. Yeah, but also really sweet. I mentioned how the original game like kind of had him as this like really angry, angry, bumbling character. Um, Barrett in this game is like very thoughtful and very kind. Um, he has an adoptive daughter. Has a daughter, yeah, um, mm-hmm. Marlene, who like he's the adoptive father of. Um, and you just get to see who was like his driving force yeah. through everything. Like his his character comes back to what can I do for this girl? Yeah. Like that is so yeah. What a selfless guy. And it's just really sweet to see that like soft portrayal of like um, non toxic masculinity of him trying to like mm-hmm. protect his daughter in this really dangerous city and this dangerous life that he's living. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a he and and he. I'll also say he has sunglasses on for a majority of the game, even when it's night and they're inside. <laughs> and then, like at a dramatic point later in the game, like his sunglasses gets knocked off, and you like see his eyes for the first Truly time. Gorgeous, and it's eyes, supposed to be super too. dramatic. And then I'm like, oh my god, he's, he's hot. hot. His eyes. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't think that's what they were going for, but I think that was like me and eighty percent of the player base was like, oh Barrett, daddy, um. We also must talk about Tifa and Aerith and their joint slay, the way they slay in this game. <laughs> their relationship in this game, too, I, w- I mean, I, I don't know, I would say this is this seems much more fleshed out, like, the, these two in relationship with each other. Well, what's really interesting is, like, I mentioned it earlier, but, like, in the original games, they were kind of just these, like, characters for Cloud to, like, have his boy feelings about. And in this game, they, like, interact with each other in a way that they never do in the original game, and, like... They have scenes together with Cloud not there. This game passes the Bechtel test at many points, actually. Yeah. Which I would say is incredibly unexpected. Also, for a we Fantasy love... Game. I'm just going to say it, and I'm sorry to be a little shady, but we love a game that has two playable female protagonists but doesn't pit them against each other in violent, horrific ways. For the sake of the boy. No sh- or, yeah, yes, For the honey. sake of a boy or for violence, no shade to The Last of Us Part Two. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's funny when I remember that these are like eco terrorists. Like these are people who have com- been committing atrocities before the game starts, and but then you play the game and you're like, oh, I just want to hug and or fuck them. Yeah, it really humanizes everyone, and I think um, starting to wrap up our conversation on this game, like I think what's really beautiful is that. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> well, you have such a way with words, Lawrence. <laughs> Oh man, you're gonna leave that in, aren't you? Absolutely, one thousand percent. Sorry. <laughs> what was I saying? Um, yeah. Okay. I think this is a game that really champions um, community and um, togetherness. Um, this game came out in April when we were already in the pandemic, and it was a game like in the midst of quarantine that reminded me like how beautiful, um, how beautiful and powerful community can be. Um, the city of Midgar feels so alive and so vibrant um, in both its characters and its non-playable characters. In its, in its, in its. Do you mean in the, like in the slums more the way that people kind of build community beneath the place yeah. of Midgar? Yeah, e- exactly. Like how these people who are like living in hor- horrific conditions and going through some really like horrific shit um, still manage to find so much joy and solidarity under like underneath, literally underneath an oppressive government. Mm-hmm. Um, this and game yeah, is very on the nose with its metaphors, and that? that is clear from, like, the first yeah. second of the game. Um, yeah, I mean, they're literally on a planet that's dying and still finding a way to, like... Um, because of because of corporate capitalism run rampant without yeah. government control of suddenly killing the planet. Oh, no. But, uh, it's, a, but it's a fantasy game, remember? <laughs> no, I love that. I love that about the game, too. You have these, you have these communities... You know, yeah, building, literally, like, building communities out of rubble. Like, this, the shit that falls down onto them is what they use to build their worlds. And I would say it's easy It's easy for, like, stories about poverty to sort of revel in, like, the romanticism of, oh, we're poor and we don't have anything but we have each other. But the game doesn't shy away from the struggle either, um, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. I think it would be easy to go really far in one extreme, only showing the hardship, only showing the joy. But the game shows equal parts joy and hardship and how especially in downtrodden communities and people that are looked down upon and not given help or the things that they need. Um, how it's, it's, it's so much easier for communities to come together and build that love and that cooperation and joy. Um, 
when when they're not being pitted against each other in a corporate yeah. capitalist way, but when they just have their world underneath the city. Yeah, and for that reason, that's why I'm really glad that this game took place solely in Midgar and mm-hmm. didn't expand into like you know, the 90% of the rest of the story of Final Fantasy VII because you would it miss really that. allowed us yeah. to... Yeah, you would miss that. You'd, you'd be able to gloss over it. And I think it was really interesting how the game's directors looked at the game and, and thought like, oh, there's a really interesting story to be told about the city of Midgar itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, which I would say It's such is a cliche to say, but like... The, the main character, character of the game. In, in yeah. <laughs> but it kind of has to be. If, you, if, if you're yeah. going to sell to, you know, however millions of people have played this by now, you're going to get Final Fantasy VII again, but just like the first 10% of it. So enjoy mm-hmm. because it's, it's a really good 10%. Um, yeah. Um, any other final thoughts you have on the game? Uh, I love it. I, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I think we said we're going to be doing a game of the year episode coming up here. I'm fairly certain it's up there for me. It's going to be up there for me too. Uh, we really d- didn't mention it all. Um, this the game also plays really well. Uh, this is a video game. Um, it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> this game is so fun. I even. I wasn't originally sold on it. I mean, the reason I bought it was one, Lawrence, you recommended it to me and said, you need to play mm-hmm. this, even if you're not interested. And I played the demo of it. And like the the 20 minute demo that came out earlier this year, just on its own, sold me because of how fun the combat is, how fun it is yeah. to fight. Um, you and I are both are going back through and playing it on hard mode now, um, on and off. And it's hard, but the way that the game like asks you to really strategize and like think about all of the systems that it's introduced, it's a really... It's a really well-made system for a system that is mostly mostly the same as the original, but with, like, you know, elements, you know, hats on top of hats added onto this combat system. But none of it feels extraneous. None of it feels unnecessary. All of it feels like it's um, additions rather than subtractions in, in the fighting. Yeah. Well, it should be noticed. That it should be noted that the original was a turn-based game, mm-hmm. so like you just like chose your action and then hit the enemy. This game is a like action RPG, so it's yeah, like it's real time, real time combat, um, but still with like, elements of turn-based the in it. Of the original, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so fun. It's a blast. Um, so we recommend it for yeah. those reasons too. I mean, we recommended it for all of the other things we said. It's a great story. It has great yeah. queer elements. Um, also, it's a really fucking fun game to play. I yeah. love fighting. I love. I love. Uh, you tweeted this one time, culturally something, you know, cop violence, something. Wait, uh, what now? State, state, corporate sanctioned violence towards Oh, cops. yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? What did you say once? Probably, yeah, corporate sanctioned violence. <laughs> like, because this game, Shinra is a literal police state, yeah. Oh, yeah, because you fight yeah, cops in this can... game, but they're not cops, they're government cops, they're paid cops. Because, yeah. the, because in this game, corporation is government, there is no government, it's just Shinra the corporation. Yeah, it's very fun to beat up corporate cops. Um, yeah. Especially in 2020. Gay <laughs> <laughs> um, for play says ACAB. Okay, moving on. Work. Um, yeah, uh, this game, like the original, is a PlayStation exclusive, so it's on PlayStation 4. Also playable on PlayStation 5, if you fancy a minute to get your hands on one of those. If um, you're rich, yeah, we not highly, like us. We highly recommend. Um, go play it. It's a beautiful, beautiful game. Yeah. And do you end the original too? I'm I'm working on making my way through the original slowly but surely. It's definitely uh has a lot more going on than just this remake because it's a full complete story and oh man, it's a lot. Yeah. The original is, st- is still worth playing, um, but mm. it does it's not a necessary prerequisite for this game. Um, but yeah, that was Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy VII remake. VII remake. Uh, do you want to take a break and then come back and talk Let's about what do else that. we're doing? Cool. 
And we're back. Hi. That was a very, very meaty discussion of Final Fantasy VII Remake. But I think it's warranted. Like I said, I've been... Um, I've been bursting to talk about this game. Yeah, I don't bursting. know about you, but after that talk, my hair my hair is bleach blonde and spiked and 10 feet tall. My hair is so spiky. I suddenly have a giant sword attached to my back. I, I suddenly have a giant sword. <laughs> I could in... go for a giant sword right now. <laughs> and oh my god, my gun's a microphone. Shit. My arm's a microphone now. I, I am the podcast I created. <laughs> anyway, um, Lawrence, yeah. what else um, have you been playing other than Final Fantasy VII this week? Oh, okay. Uh, one other quick thing I want to mention is I've been digging back into Animal Crossing New Horizons. I never left. I still play that game a little <laughs> bit every day. <laughs> uh, but I've been digging into it a lot more now that it's uh, winter time and some of the like Christmas decorations are starting to come out. Hmm. And it's just been really lovely. I feel like this is a game that I will like um, not sink a lot of time into for a long periods of time. But then when I'm ready to come back to it, it's always so it's charming. Always is it snowing um, already in, on your island? Yes, it's, the ground isn't covered in snow, but, like, I've seen snow falling from the sky. I need to go check in. I haven't um, been there since Thanksgiving. Or, sorry, yeah, Turkey Day. Added, turkey Day. Yeah, and since Turkey Day, or, like, with that Turkey Day slash winter update, um, they added some, like, nice little quality of life stuff. Um, they, like, not quality of life necessarily, but they added more reactions so, like, your character can do more cute things. Um, but one big thing is they, like, doubled the amount of storage you can have in your house, which is kind of, like, my biggest hindrance from, like, continuing to play the game. Because like, it's just clothes, it's just clothes, it's just a house yeah, full of clothes! I, I ran out of space, and now I can, like, continue to collect things again. Sorry, just, like, a phone <laughs> going off in my background. But anyways, I'm digging back into Animal Crossing. Um, it's a lot of fun. Mm. Eric, what are you playing? Uh, well, we had, uh, we had Turkey Day. Uh, we also are forgetting about the other most, uh unimportant holiday black friday um happened meaning that there are so many games on sale and i kind of lost my goddamn mind and bought too many games that i'm not going to even get to play for months um what did i got i got me too Mm. i told you how much money i spend on video games it's embarrassing and i'm not going to say it on this pod but (laughs) what did you get i got i got overwatch uh which i haven't touched Uh, i got alien isolation which i haven't touched um, I got uh, one of the DLC packs for Resident Evil 7, um, one of like, the Ooh, story nice. things I never finished, so I'll get to do that. Um, and then, Lawrence, you actually, um, last time we recorded, you gave me money so I could play Hades, because Yee-hee. you really wanted me to play it, and I wanted to say thank you so much, because I love this game so oh, much. My does it feel good when you recommend a thing and someone plays it and like one you were one thousand percent right? Oh baby, it is the biggest shot of adrenaline, serotonin straight into my veins when I recommend something to someone and then they dig that recommendation. It's the best feeling in the world. Oh yeah, and so you talked about it last week, so I'm not going to go hugely into it, but it's a it's a roguelike. You know, the game is different every time you play it, but it's you're playing the son of Hades and you're trying to escape hell and has greek influences greek it's greek right these are greek gods yes. not real these are greek gods um greek influence from all over redesigns of characters reimaginings of how we think about greek mythology i love it um you know very likely going to make an appearance in our game of the year next week either you lawrence or me um absolutely um, it's going to be there and also i think like early next year we're probably going to have a whole have episode it, dedicated oh 100 and i'm so glad i know yeah. now that i played it and i can see like what is so queer about this game and mm-hmm. it's good it's, it's juicy stuff it is good lots and gay. of hot greek gods lots of daddy issues lots of good music like oh yeah no we'll definitely have mm-hmm. to do an episode yeah starting next year um but that's it for me i also wanted to call out a last the last of waifus on steam yeah what the fuck is this <laughs> 
Uh, it's I just, saw this in the show notes and I was like, what is this? Uh, it just came up randomly on my Steam. Um, it looks like this game, it's like just an arena shooter um, with like Last of Us like elements, but all the characters are waifus. They're like these Jap- big TD anime girls with guns, but you're like <laughs> playing through Last of Us environments. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. I'm not going to play it. Or buy it, uh, but I just wanted to shout it out here because I fucking love when random shit like that shows up in my Steam that I'm never going to touch. But there it is. Last of Waifus. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, wow. Do you want to close out, Lawrence? Are you ready to, yeah. ready to say goodbye till next time? Oh, my God. We didn't talk about Sephiroth being a uh, a femme fatale queer icon. Um, we we'll can have talk to say that for that. our original Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> But actually, wait! <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're hot off the presses. We're coming to you from... Uh, we are five days off the future. presses. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, so the Game Awards were a few days ago. Um, but we had to, like, slot in a quick little announcement here. Because, lo and behold, the way I predicted this, Eric, the way I knew something was amiss when I didn't mention Sephiroth's name. Because, lo and behold, that girl is coming to Smash. Oh my gosh. Okay, Lauren, I know this isn't like our first reaction, but like, can you can you recount what your reaction was? Because we were we literally like had recorded our Final Fantasy episode like the day days before. before the, the game day awards. before yeah. the Game Awards, yeah. Um, and not and expecting the there to happened. be hot queer Sephiroth news like immediately after we did this. So yeah, um, I was I I was not shocked, um, but I was genuinely surprised. Um, so Sephiroth is coming as a. DLC character to Smash. Sephiroth is, of course, the main villain of Final Fantasy VII, both the original and the remake. And yeah, well, it brought me back to when Cloud was revealed for um, uh, the Smash 4 for the Wii U. Um, and that was a huge moment, because as I mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, Final Fantasy VII was, like, infamously the first Final Fantasy game that wasn't Nintendo. And so for Cloud to, like, appear on this Nintendo game was huge. So it's cool that they're continuing that with, by bringing in Sephiroth. I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I genuinely didn't, of, like, all of the Smash prediction stuff that I read everywhere, like, no one ever said Sephiroth. And, like, yeah. fucking Nintendo, man. Sa- uh-huh. Sakurai. Uh, uh, also, uh, just moment of the year. Sephiroth impaling Mario. Impaling Mar- <laughs> that's how, and that's why I, why I love about Smash is that like it never, it never lets go of this like bizarre sense of humor. It never lets up on the joke that like, isn't it ridiculous that like all of these characters are fighting to the death? Cause, yeah. Because there's the single image in the trailer um, for Sephiroth in in the reveal trailer where. You just see, like, Mario jumping towards Sephiroth, a flash in the air, Mario's eyes get wide, and then you see, like, Sephiroth's, like, ten-foot sword. A dramatic and Mario, silhouette. Like, in a silhouette directly impaled on the sword, and they hold it for, like, a solid second and a half, maybe? And, and then it's revealed that it's just on his little overall loop. He didn't really stab <laughs> stab beloved but Mario. Still, but he didn't still, stab the plumber I... with a giant old sword. <laughs> Can you imagine if they had canonically decided to kill Mario and then like took him out of Smash after this and that becomes oh, like the new the new like MMO campaign of Smash? That would have been insane. Avenge um, Mario. Because that was what's cool about the trailer is like you see it starts with them looking at the main the main villain for Smash Bros. Ultimate, like this floating cloud. I forget what it's called, but then like Sephiroth slices through it as if like Sephiroth is more powerful than the villain of Smash. It's almost like Wow, the the fucking rule rails are off now. 
And my favorite thing about it, too, is Cloud already a part of the Smash Brothers canon, just, like, looking at the skies and pulling a, a Tiffany New York Pollard and going, not you. Oof, not I should have fucking known. <laughs> should have known. Oh man, it was it's so cool good. That, I mean, for Final Fantasy representation, that the second character to smash is also Final Fantasy VII, not from another Final Fantasy series. You think it's cool? I think that's a little disappointing, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, no, well, I mean, I think, I'm not disappointed. I think it's not cool. I think it's it's interesting because I would have expected them to pull a different Final Fantasy character because I think there is so much to. You know the whole the whole series, not just Final Fantasy mm-hmm. VII, but I suppose it makes sense because of the remake. I think that was probably one of the main. Yeah, it's still that, hot like, in everyone's minds, and it's like really easy because like you have um someone to like you know be the foil to uh, Cloud in that game. So um yeah, it's cool. It's a cool addition. But yeah, we just wanted to hop on and mention that little Smash reaction, uh, really, really Final Fantasy VII related thing. Yeah, are you gonna buy this? Are you gonna buy this as soon as it comes out? Um, I, I don't really play Smash much anymore. I'll probably wait until the mm. whole Fighters pack comes out and decide if I wanted to get it or not. But I'm yeah. not in a uh, Quickly, who who is a who do you hope for the rest of the uh the rest of the reveals? Um, I still want Sora. Um, and mm. then I don't care who else because it's two left. I think. But yeah, I want Rayman and I want Crash Bandicoot, and then I'm good. Oh, work. They can be done. Crash would be good. Yeah, that'd yeah. be. I think Crash, Crash, and Rayman. I also think make a lot of sense. I think they both have really good potential. They're both pretty hot. Yeah. Crash is again that's that Sony thing because you know we don't have any first party Sony characters in Smash. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, except we also I guess, don't have any. Cloud do we Sephiroth. have any other topless characters in Smash, or would Crash be the first? Any who now? Topless. <laughs> what do you mean topless? Crash he doesn't wear a shirt. Do we have? A, are there other characters in Smash? That Sephiroth completely... is shirtless. Sephiroth is completely has a shirtless skin coming to Smash Brothers. <gasps> oh, they have the skins. I was wondering what the skins. Yeah, were. did you not see Sephiroth? No. is ripped, Mama. I'm going to go check it's that out be immediately a after we're done here. Um, okay, cool. Anyways, we're running long, but I also wanted to mention uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake won Best Score. So um, all my waxing poetic about the music was worth it. Um, it also won Best RPG. So work. Sorry, Persona fans. <laughs> of which right. I'm one. Anyways. Um, this episode's this is already a super long episode. All right, we're going to hop okay, off we here gotta now. Go. Uh, Lawrence, I had a great time this week. Did you have a great time? Me too. This is probably the most fun I've had on an episode so far. Yes. Not to say that the others have been boring, but it's been so fun to talk about this Gorgina fun game. It was um, fun to take on a big one. I would say, I mean, I would say Animal Crossing is probably the next biggest thing, but even that doesn't have the cultural yeah, heft this of is Final like, Fantasy. I think this is the first, like, truly triple triple A game that we've mm-hmm. uh, chatted about. Um, cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys so, so much for listening. Uh, I'm Lawrence Turner Cordova. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Afroman76. Uh, I'm Eric Solis. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter at Eric of the Sun. There's going to be underscores between all of those words. Uh, and you can find all of the information about our podcast, um, some fun updates and fun content that we're going to be posting um, on our Twitter and Instagram at gay4playpod. Uh, that's gay, the word for, F-O-R, play pod. You can also email us at gay4playpod at gmail.com um, if you have recommendations, uh, if you have links. Um, yeah, and tell us about your game of the year uh, thoughts. We'd love to uh, hear what you think about all that stuff remember yeah and if you do follow us uh remember to uh like us on uh instagram uh find us on apple podcasts and write us a review um rate yes, us tell please us your, leave tell us a written review that us. helps that helps so much and yeah word of mouth is truly uh the best way to get 
our little podcast out there. So yeah, I'm so happy to see so many so many people have that have said you know I don't even really play games or I'm I kind of play games casually. I'm not super into it, but I'm very gay and I really love that you two are taking a different approach to talking about these things um, in a really yeah. exciting way for people. That's just been so nice to hear. So if you know someone you know, who is queer, but maybe not so into games or not sure where to start or like not sure if it's a thing for them. I would point them this way. I'd say we we have a uh, a lot of good discussions. We have a lot of cool insights um, and we're very attractive people. So can't go wrong there. Yeah. And we're both single, I think. <laughs> yes. Wait, did you not? Yes, I'm single. Yes. <laughs> um. Anyways, let's get out this podcast, child. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody. And... And have a good one. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gay for Play. Our show art is by Nick Adams, and our theme music is by Connor Marsh. Please remember to rate and review the show. And until next time, ask yourself, you going to stand there and pretend you can't hear the planet crying out in pain? I know you can. 